right, how are we doing this morning? Good, 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 good. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We will be in the book of Acts chapter 15. Um, as you're turning there, uh, just kind of get everybody up to speed, make sure we're on the same page. Um, so last week we were in Acts chapter 14, and what we see is Paul and Barnabas are sent out uh, on their first missionary journey. And so as they go, what they're doing is they're raising up disciples planting churches, leaving leaders there at those churches, and they continue to go uh, as the gospel spreads. And so uh, it took them around three years uh, on their first missionary journey, and they traveled around uh, 1,000, 1,200 miles is what they estimate that they had walked. So for them, mission trip isn't let's jump in a plane and head somewhere, or let's get in our car or bus and take off. But for them, mission trip is uh, on foot going to where God leads you. And so we looked at that last week and talked about that a little bit about the spread of the gospel. Um, and we also, uh, there was one point where the persecution was so great that they come against the apostle Paul and they stone the man and leave him for dead. And they walk off and the disciples kind of come around and he just gets back up, dusts himself off. He's like, all right, we got the gospel to spread. And so he continues to go and continues to walk. And as he does that, just continues to spread the gospel. I mean, so nothing could derail the man. Nothing could slow him down. Nothing could stop him. And so uh, that's what we see is just the gospel uh, being the the the, the greatest thing, the greatest thing that needs to be proclaimed. And so they go and they proclaim it. They take the message of Jesus everywhere that they go and they plant churches and do that. What happens is they circle back around, they get back to Antioch. And then what we have is a a little disagreement, a little um, thing that happens there. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But before we do that, I want to, uh, before we jump into our story, I want to, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story. I believe this story will help us kind of get to where we're going to be this morning. Um, but the story that I want to tell you uh, took place in my life probably about eight, nine years ago, almost 10 years ago, somewhere eight to 10 years ago. Um, and so I'm a student pastor at a church, and uh, one of the things that we would do is they would have youth rallies often. And so uh, a guy contacted us and asked us if we would come lead worship and then um, stay for the youth rally. And so I said, yeah, man, we'd love to. And so we get together, a little band, we uh, do that kind of stuff. We end up taking about 30, 35 kids that night, uh, go to this youth rally, we get there. Um, just like every youth rally, you get there, there's some craziness going on, kids, all that kind of stuff. There's about 200 kids there. Um, just a great time, we, we lead worship, we step down. Uh, the, the pastor of the church comes up and introduces the speaker who happens to be in that church, um, kind of wants to go into evangelism. And so, uh, so he introduces him and he comes up and he begins to, to start in his, in his sermon. And as he begins to start, he's in his intro, and I'm getting it. I'm like, okay, good, this is, this is good. And then all of a sudden, I don't know where he's like, all right, I just need everybody, and you don't do this, but I just need everybody to stand up. And so we all stand, and I'm thinking, okay, okay what's, what's going on? And as that happens, the doors open, and here comes four men rolling in a casket. I mean, they are in like suits, man. Like this, I'm like, are we going to a funeral now? Like, what? That wasn't in the bulletin. And so uh, they come walking down and they leave the casket here and they step over to the side where the pallbearers would be. And uh, the, the pastor or the guy that's speaking at the time is like, all right, you may be seated. And he continues on in his talk. And so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm good with the casket. This is, this is all right. Okay, I'm, I'm good with this. I'm cool. I've been to funerals. I didn't know we were going to do a funeral, but I'm, I'm good with this. And so he begins to continue to talk. And as he continues to talk and, and share a little bit, he starts to allude to the casket. And I'm, I'm, I'm even fine with that. Okay, we're, I see what you, okay, I'm good. Get us thinking a little bit, right? Life is short. Life is but a vapor is what the scripture says. Eternity is a long time. Where will we spend our eternity? Okay, so I, I get it. I'm, I'm following along. And, and then he walks down and he opens the casket. And I'm like, good Lord, this guy's crazy. You know, I'm like, I didn't know what was in there first. So I'm just kind of like, what in the world? So he opens it. Okay, I'm like, I don't see anything from where I'm sitting. And so he continues to, to, to talk a little bit. And then he finally, he does this. He's like, all right, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to have everybody in this place come down and look in this casket. 
And I'm thinking, okay, now we just went from a little weird to like, we're getting a lot weird now. And so everybody's gonna come down, you're gonna look into the casket, but I need to tell you something about the casket. He's like, whoever you see in that casket is going to hell. And I'm like, no, he's not. He, he's, no, we're not doing that. I was like, all right, everybody, right now. And so we just filed out and we come down and we look. And what, what is in that casket is a mirror. So what do you see in that casket? Yourself. Mm, yeah, yeah, you, you see where I'm going. You, you see, you. And so I just began to think, if I didn't have instruments on that stage, we, we would make a U-turn and head out the back door. I'm, just, I'm like, I'm getting ticked, you know? I'm like, this, what is he doing? Now, I get, I get the heart behind it, and I think I get the heart behind it. His desire, he wants everybody in that room to be saved, right? So, so what are we saved from? Hell, so we think. And so that's, that's the thing that, that he's trying to do. And, 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 I, and I get the fact that his heart and his desire is to share the gospel in a way that's going to um, compel people to come to Jesus. I, I get all of that. But I guess what hit me was simply this is, man, you don't need to add something to the gospel, we don't need to tag something along to it. We don't need to have scare tactics. We don't need to uh, 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 bunch it up with something else. We don't, we don't need to use those kinds of things to try to, to scare people into a decision. I mean, let the gospel be enough, right, church? Just, 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 just preach Jesus and let Jesus deal with the hearts of man. You don't have to manipulate and you don't have to try to co-org somebody into. I mean, you, you just, you tell them about Jesus and tell them the truth about themselves and tell them the truth about Jesus and then let that be enough. We don't need to add to, we don't need scare taxes. Just preach and proclaim the gospel and let that be the driving force. You don't have to manipulate or tack something onto the gospel. And, and, and the reason, one of the reasons I want to press hard here is because I've been around this long enough to see what that does in someone's heart. I know what that does. And so it gives them a false sense of security and a decision that they never really made. That, that's what it does. Uh, let, let, me, let me try to explain. Um, just real quick, I just want to take a, just a, a poll across the room. Who wants to go to hell this morning? Well, then just come on down, brother. See how ridiculous that is? I mean, it's just it's crazy. Because there, nobody in their right minds will be like, yep, that's me, I'm ready to go, sign me up, let's, let's do this thing. And besides, I don't think the goal of the gospel is to avoid hell, but I believe the goal of the gospel is to be made right before God. Well, one of the benefits of being saved is, yes, I don't have to spend eternity in hell, which, by the way, the flames and the darkness and the gnashing of teeth is not the worst part about hell. The worst part about hell is the absence of a, Almighty God is the worst part about hell. It's not, it's not about the fact that, oh, it's hot and it's going to hurt. No, who cares about that? There's no God there. That's a godless place. That's the definition of hell, a place without God. And so we don't, we don't believe in Jesus to avoid hell, but we believe in Jesus so we can be made right before a holy God. So I just want to put all my cards on the table this morning, up front and everything on the table. My desire week in and week out in this place is to spend all of our time all of our energy, everything in us, everything about us, rallying around the reality of what the gospel is. Every week, I wanna rally around the gospel because hear me, I believe the most important thing that takes place in this place, week in and week out, is laying the foundation of what the gospel is. It's talking about the, the gospel, landing at the gospel, building a foundation that we can stand on that won't crumble, that won't shake, but building a foundation on the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. And hear me, I believe everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. We start at the gospel, we end at the gospel, and the stuff in between is just secondary type stuff. Everything needs to be about the gospel, everything. So what about dinosaurs? It's a great question. Secondary. Well, what about your eschatology? Uh, eschatology, the end time stuff. 
Jesus coming back for his church. What, a, what about that? Yeah, I believe in it. I believe Jesus is coming back. And hear me, there, there are some brilliant minds in the Christian faith that believe different things in regards to when Jesus is coming back for his church. A ton of different, different opinions, different thoughts on the scriptures. And hear me, I've got my own. I'm not gonna give it to you this morning, but I've got my own. But that's secondary. Well, what about gifts of the spirit? Secondary. It's all about the gospel. There's some that believe that, that certain gifts, sign gifts, uh, ended at the end of the apostolic age. So when the apostles had passed on the early church, when they had passed and died, that some of those gifts were done away with. I mean, so there's, there's all kinds of different, different thoughts out there. I mean, I believe all those are secondary as we rally around the reality of what the gospel is. As we rally around the gospel, that's where we need to be. And so what's gonna happen this morning in our text is this, is that exact thing is gonna happen at the church in Antioch. They are going to, the, the gospel is going to be caught into question. And so they're going to step up and they're going to define what the gospel is, what it means to be saved. So I'm going to ask you if you'd join me to pray this morning and then we'll jump into our text. Jesus, we love you. God, we need you. Lord, I pr- God, please, please this morning in this place, may your Holy Spirit fall heavy. God, may you teach us. May you convict us. May you draw us. May you encourage us. God, may you do the work that you see fit in this place. God, we give you freedom. God, to move, God, I pray every heart be a fertile ground here this morning as you proclaim your truth. God, rally us around the gospel. Help us fall in love over and over and over with your glorious truth of the great news. God, move in this place this morning, I beg you. God, teach us from your word. In your name we pray, amen. So Acts 15, verse one is where we're gonna be. Acts 15, verse one. Remember that story as we look and see the attack of the gospel here in this story as the church continues to grow and Paul and Barnabas continue to go. So verse one says this. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. So what we have here is a lot of the first Christians uh, were Jews. And the Jews had been raised on the Old Testament laws. And so one of the most important of those laws were, was that every male had to be circumcised. Every male had to be uh, circumcised. And so it was a God-given sign that would separate the people uh, of God from the world. It, it would separate them. It would be a distinction between uh, people of this world and people that belong to God. And so there was a lot of these Jewish Christians teaching that if you were a child of God, you had to be circumcised. If you were a child of God, you had to be circumcised. And so the crazy thing is, is the church here in Antioch is primarily made up of Gentile believers. And so what's happening is this teaching starts to infiltrate the church here at Antioch. Well, you've got to be this to be saved. Well, you, you want to complete salvation, then you've got to do this. This is what has to happen. And then look at what happens in the story. It says, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem uh, to the apostles and the elders about this question. And so this, this is a long trip for Paul and Barnabas. And so whatever's being discussed is so important and so pertinent that they, would, that they would, uh, are willing to take that trek all the way to Jerusalem to discuss it. And so they take off to Jerusalem. And when they get there, they are, they are greeted and welcomed by the apostles and elders. But some of the believers who were, who were part of the, the Pharisees there said that uh, just kind of continue to just pound this drum, beat this drum. It's, it's necessary to be saved. You've got to be circumcised. You need to be circumcised. And then skip down to verse 6 and look at what happens. And so the apostles and the elders were gathered together and, and to consider the matter. And after there had been much debate, just a lot of arguing and yelling there is probably what that is, uh, Peter stood up and said to them, so we've got Peter back into the story, says this, he says, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by uh, my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of, God, of, of the gospel and believe, verse eight, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. How? By faith is what he says. 
Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that, either, that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So, so let's talk for a second about Peter's arguments here. Let's talk about what Peter stands up in this council and what he says. He says, first of all, remember back over in Acts 10 a few months ago? Whenever we were walking through the book of Acts and we told the story and we looked at the story of Cornelius, this Italian cohort, who, who is, who is a, a godly man, it says, and he's praying and seeking God. And as he's praying and seeking God, God gives him this vision and says, there's going to be a guy in this other city, this other town by this name, and you need to go get him and bring him back because I've got a message for you by way of him. And so what does he do? He raises up his men and he sends them after, after this guy. This guy's Peter. Just so happens at that time, Peter's up on the top roof and he's praying and as he's praying, he gets hungry and he sees this vision and there's a sheet that comes out and the sheet that comes out has got all of this food that would be very offensive to the Jews. Peter, being a Jewish man, sees this food. He's hungry. God says, go ahead and eat, bud. This is me telling the story. God probably didn't tell him, bud, but go ahead and eat, bud. And he's like, ah, God, no, I, I, I can't touch that. That's, that's unclean. There's no way. And God says, hey, whatever I've made clean, don't let any man say it's unclean. You go and eat. The bacon sandwich, baby, is on the table. Eat up, enjoy. And so at that time, there's a knock on the door. Those men get there. They stay for the night. They end up going back. And as they go back, Peter's not sure what he's going to say, what's going to come of this. But what he does is this, is he goes in, kind of introduces himself, says, you know what? It's not right for me to be here in a room uh, uh, with Gentiles, me being a Jew, that this is uh, looked uh, against. Um, and so we talked about some things a few months ago. You can go back and check out that talk if you want to. And so as they're there, they're doing that. Then Peter just starts to proclaim the gospel. He just starts, he's like, I don't know what to tell him. I'm just gonna tell him about Jesus. And so he just starts to tell of Jesus. And as he does, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit falls heavy upon that place and those men get saved. So what Peter is saying here is like, man, I've been around it. It's because of the faith that Cornelius and his crew had and that that's what brought them salvation. He sees the Holy Spirit poured out upon these Gentile men for just believing in Jesus. So that's his first argument. Man, I've seen with my own eyes the Holy Spirit fall heavy upon them. His second argument is this, that yoke on the neck argument. See, circumcision was one of 613 Jewish laws. Well, Peter's saying, man, there's no way to keep those laws. There is no way to keep those laws. And so what Peter's doing, he's pointing to the fact that if, if them as Jews struggled to keep the law, why would we put the burden on the Gentiles to try to do that? Peter's in essence saying, man, we can't even keep all the law. Circumcision is just one of those laws, but we can't, we don't just obey the one and then uh, set the rest of them outside. No, we, we're called to obey and be obedient to all the law. And what he says is, man, we couldn't even do that. Why would we, why would we put that on them? So let's, let's chat for a second because hear me, church, the law was never, ever given to save us, but rather point us and show us the one that could save us. You being good and you trying to uh, live out the law was not, uh, not how you were saved, it was never a means for that. It would just keep the law, just do this, just sacrifice this, just act like this, just don't talk like that, just now you're saved. No, it was, never, it was to point to the one who could save us because the reality is this, no one, no one could keep that. And so we'll talk about that here in a second, but what we've got going on is the moral law and the ritual law. And so what you have in the ritual law is different things like this, like there's a physical circumcision that you're supposed to partake in. You had to wash a certain way in a certain amount of times before you ate, before you went into worship. There were laws around foods that were clean and, and foods that were unclean and you were to uh, stay away from, have nothing to do with. And, and there was a law for, uh, from abstaining totally from anything that had blood on it. Anything that was dead you couldn't touch or be, come so close to. That's the ritual law. That's the ritual law. And then we have the moral law. And all of this comprised the law. Christ fulfilled those things. 
The moral law is still the law that we fall through, the, model, the law that we live, it's lived out. We don't try to follow it. No, we follow Jesus, and in following Jesus, the law is lived out. So, so let, let's just, let's play for a moment, shall we? Because the whole point behind the law is to show us that, that we're not good. And I think Jesus comes along and, and even says that, no, there's none good, not one. So none of us are good, and that's the whole point behind the law is to show us that. So let, let's, let's dabble for a minute, shall we? Let's play and let's, let, me, let me show you what this does to try to live this law out. Any, anybody ever tell a law? This is, this is where we get, yeah, let's, we're gonna be a little, let's participate, crowd participation, good. Those of you that don't raise your hand are lying now, so, okay, gotcha. Yeah, absolutely, every single one of us. But the game that we like to play simply is, well, I, I just told a lie, I'm not a liar. No, no, you're a liar because liars do what? They lie. It's innate within us. It's our heart. It's the fallen nature of man. It's deep within. That's just, that's us. Being born, we're enemies of God. So as a result of that, we, we don't just tell a lie. Now we're liars. No, we're liars, so we lie. So that's one of the commandments, right? Not to lie. Well, we've, we've all broken that. Guarantee it. Every single one of us. And this is the thing. We can like play those little cutesy games. I, I didn't, I didn't, withholding from information that you need to give as well, that's also considered lying, right? Can we just be honest for a second? Like if I withhold the information and I know that I should give it or the question's asked and we're like, do that cute little like, like, like two-step to get around it, uh, th- same as lying. Deceitfulness, I mean, same thing, goes hand in hand, right? Uh, so okay, we're 0 for 1 right now. Uh, uh, what about this one? Any, anybody ever stole something? Come on, uh, th- th- we'll never work through this stuff if we're not honest with ourselves, right? Let me define stealing. Stealing is taking something that does not belong to you. Now, any, any thieves in the room? Okay. This is good. This is good. Crowd participation. Me too. I've stole. I have. And, and when I was a little guy, a little tyke. And, and it doesn't matter. And the thing is that we do to justify it, it doesn't matter how big or how small it is. Like we only think, well, I never, I've never jacked a car, so I'm good. No, if you steal a piece of bubble gum, that's stealing. If it wasn't like free, set that sign there free, flashing lights, you can have it, and you take it and it's not yours, that's technically a definition of stealing, right? So right now we're 0 for 2, and I would be willing to bet that probably everybody in this room has taken something that doesn't belong to you. So we're 0 for 2 right now. So, let's, let's, so we'll, we'll get into some, maybe we can, we can kind of win here for a second. 0 for 2 on the commandments, there's 10, right? So, so we know where we're headed. What about this, what about murder? And you, I don't want participation on this one. Like there's security and they will take you down. No, but murder, right? Like, okay, finally I've got one. And I would say you're right, you've got one until Jesus comes along and he blows this whole system up, church. What Jesus says is this, is murder is not defined by what you physically do on the outside, but more rather what happens on the inside. So what Jesus says is this, and we're cute, like, yeah, I've never killed nobody. I believe Jesus would disagree with us. Because what he says is this, is if we look at someone with hate in our heart, then we're guilty of murder. So it's not just the external action. Murder starts in the heart, is what Christ says. And that's what he shows us. Right now we're batting 0 for 3 because I'd be willing to bet that probably everybody in this room has had ill will towards somebody. Like if I could just get a second with them, I would work them over and we'd get them right quick. Like I, I, I'm, I'm with you, I'm same place, man, I've been there. I try to spread it out a little more by the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Okay, so we're 0 for 3. Well, what about this one, adultery? Yeah, it, it, it says not to commit adultery. Okay, yeah, I'm good there. I've never physically slept with someone else's. Yeah, I'm good. Again, Jesus messes the whole system up, and he says that if you look at lust with someone in your heart, then you're guilty of adultery. 
so you see what's happening? Like, like we can get cutesy and we can kind of like try to define and try to get it ourselves. And I mean, we're 0 for 4 right now. What about don't, don't worship or have any other gods besides me? Right here, man. If you've ever longed for and wanted something other than Jesus, more than Jesus, well, that's become your God. That's become an idol and that, that becomes your God. And in essence, that's what you worship. So right now we're 0 for 5. And I would venture to say that if we continue down the list, we're going to be 0 for 6, 0 for 7, 0 for 8, 0 for 9, 0 for 10. Because the law was not set there to save us. The law was set there to point us to the one who could save us. The one where there's no deception. The one who doesn't take what's not his. The the one that, that loves above all else. The one that's committed to regardless of. That's what the law is set to do is to point us to Jesus and to show us that we're not good and that we can't. That's the whole heart behind the law. And what Peter is saying is, why would we put that on them when when we can't even do it ourselves and we're good upstanding Jews and we can't even obtain the law? We can't even live out the law perfectly and execute it. Why would we put that yoke of of burden on them? So that's his argument and the story goes. And this is what he says. He says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Peter's saying, man, it's not the law that saves them. So, so hear me, church, it's not your Bible reading, it's not your attendance, it's not your not cussing, it's not doing uh, uh, the, the things that saves you. So the law of the list of do's and don'ts is not what saves you. It was given to show us that we couldn't save ourselves. That the result of an obedient life is the law lived out. The result of us following after Jesus, seeking Jesus, walking with Jesus, as a result of that, lying is not going to be an issue for me. Why? Because I'm focused on Christ and I'm following him and I'm going after him. I'm not going to take something that's not mine. Why? Because I'm so focused on Jesus, I don't need to look around to see what I need to take. I'm not going to worry about about, uh, committing adultery with my eyes at something that I look at. Why? Because my eyes are fixated on Christ. I'm not going to worry about killing my brother. Why? Because I'm going to be reminded as I pursue Jesus that, that if anyone deserves to die in the room, it's me. Because my sin is an offense to a holy God. I'm going to be reminded of those things as I seek Jesus, as I walk after him. All of these things out here is going to be done away with because my focus and fixation is going to be on Christ. And as I'm focused in walking in Christ, I'm going to live out these laws so they won't even be an issue. They won't even be an issue. See, what saves you is faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not what we did, but faith in what he did. That's what salvation is. Not what we did, but but faith in what he has done on the cross. And so the scripture goes on in verse 12 and says this, the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul uh, as they related what signs and wonders uh, God had done through them among the Gentiles. And so they're telling, Paul and Barnabas are telling what they've seen. Man, we just got back from our missionary journey and the Gentile church just continues to spread. The message continues to go out to Gentile people. I mean, they're hearing the gospel and they're believing and they just share that. And after they finished, then we have James. Brother James at the church of Jerusalem, he stands up. So now just to give you a little information real fast on who James is. James is the half-brother of Jesus. That's who James is, half-brother of Jesus. So if you've ever doubted the resurrection of Christ, I just believe this is just one of the most compelling arguments that we have in, 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 our, in, our, in our grasp. Anybody have siblings? Anybody got a brother or sister? yeah. Like, like physical brother and sister, like blood, like that's, that's, that's my sister. Yeah, well think about this for a moment. What would it take for you to believe that they were God in the flesh? I just heard a, <laughs> that's not good. I'm gonna be willing to bet that there's probably nothing. There's probably nothing. I've got a sister and all I've got to say is that there will never, there will never be a time that I walk into the room and be like, all right, Amanda, worship me, here I am. 
here I am, girl. What? Sing songs to me. Not going to happen. She'd probably beat me up. And be like, now you worship me, sucker. Uh, you know, I'm like, she don't play. There's no way she's going to bow. Down. And there's probably no, there's, uh, not probably, there's no way your sibling's going to bow down and worship you. That's just not going to happen. There's just no way. But what do we have here? We have the half-brother of Jesus standing up, faith in his brother, Jesus, and he begins to give a discourse of why, why this shouldn't happen, why we shouldn't push circumcision on him. Another interesting thing about James is simply this, is that because of his faith in his brother, Jesus, his, his earthly brother, Jesus, because of his faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, it, it requires his life. Church history says that James was taken up on the Temple Mountain and given the opportunity to recant. You, 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 you recant all that you've said about Jesus, this risen Savior or, or God in the flesh. You recant. He wouldn't do it. So what do they do? They, they're so nice and loving and they push him off the Temple Mount. But it doesn't kill him. He falls down. He's busted up, broken legs, bleeding everywhere. And you know what they do? They come back down and say, all right, we'll give you one more chance to recant. Take it back. And James doesn't recant. He doesn't take it back. He says, no, Jesus is Lord. And church history says that they beat him to death with their clubs. The man dies. The man dies for his faith. But his faith's a little different, isn't it? I mean, his faith in Jesus and who he is, but Jesus was his brother. I mean, can you imagine being in that family for a moment? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Always getting straight A's. His bend's always made. Always gets off his chores done. I mean, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm just playing and being goofy for a moment. But can, can you imagine all the stories about Jesus that comes around? Mom, I've worked hard too. I mean, you know, I'm a, yes, James, but, but Jesus, now he's, I mean, can you, I mean, just, and this man gives his life for the cause of the gospel, for the spread of Jesus. I mean, no more compelling story that we have than right there, the fact that his half brother dies for his faith. And so James, this brother of Jesus stands up and he says, brothers, listen to me. And what James is going to do, I'm not going to read it all, but he's going to quote from Amos's prophecy of the millennial kingdom to prove uh, that Gentile salvation was, was not, contrary for, uh, um, for, not contrary to God's plan for Israel. It's very, it's very Old Testament language of saying, no, no this, was, this was decided beforehand. This isn't just something that we're trying to muster up. We're like, okay, yeah, should we or should we not? Let's take a quick vote. No, no, God's already voted on it. This has been the plan of God from the beginning. That's what God's going to do. He's going to save everybody. Give an opportunity, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your upbringing is. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you're from. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Salvation is for those who will believe and be saved. And then he goes on to verse 19. He says, therefore, my judgment is this, is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. I just want to amen that for a second because I love that. It doesn't seem like there's much there. But man, there's a taste. This is what we should do. Let's, let's not trouble the Gentiles who come to faith in Jesus. What he's saying is let's not put a bunch of ridiculous kind of parameters around them. And I just love that. I think we as a church, as the saved, should eliminate as many obstacles as possible that would keep someone from coming to Jesus. So I just want to talk for a second about maybe an obstacle that keeps people from coming to Jesus. And I believe it's our artificial facade. What I simply mean by that is this, is that we are so quick to live that on our, ho- uh, our, 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 on our high horse, our holy high horse, we're so quick to live there, like, oh, how are you, bro? good brother? Like, we, we speak Christianese. How are you, blessed? What does that even mean? Uh, blessed? Like, how was your week? Blessed, brother, sister. May God be with you. Uh, 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 like, can we just be real for a moment? 
I mean, I mean that, that, does, that does nothing. When our life is falling apart and in shambles, how are we? just great, just blessed, good. That's always, I, always, I call it finitis. How are you doing? Fine. Finitis, that's what I call it. How are you doing? Just fine, brother, fine. How about you? Good. No, my, my, my life has been in shambles. It's falling apart. We need to be honest and care for one another and love each other to the point where we're willing to walk with each other through stuff. And what we do is we put on these masks when we come in and we parade it around like everything's great and good and that's, that's doing nothing. Not because when we get back in the car, then, then all hell breaks loose again. Church, the thing that we need to understand and realize is this, is that every single person in this room is saved the exact same way and it's through God's amazing grace. And if it's not through him and from him and by him, then it's not salvation. And hear me, even in our salvation, we're gonna struggle and we're gonna fight and there's gonna be, th- gonna be things that goes on in our life. We're all sinners saved by his grace, trying to mature in our faith. And hear me, none of us has arrived. You know how I know that? Because we're still sitting here. You're still here. God's not finished with you. So he's got a work to be doing in you. I say it like this often. As, as I'm 35 years old, I was saved at 11. That's like 20-something years that I've been saved. I should be able to do that in my head quick. But I, anyways, I put on the spot. And I look at my life and I'm like, are you kidding me? How am I struggling with that right now in this moment? Like, like I'm 35, been married for 12 years this coming May. I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old and that's what I'm fighting today? That's the battle that's coming. That's what Satan's coming after me, and I've given in to it. I've been at this thing for a while. I'm a pastor of a church, and Satan, don't let up. I'm a pastor of a church, and, and this world still wants to kick your teeth in, still wants to come after you. Satan wants nothing more than to see us fail miserably. He, he wants nothing more than to us to continue to kind of glide through life. How are you doing? Just fine, brother. Blessed. No, there's times in my life when I'm not fine. I need people to pray for me. I need to be honest. We need, we need to get over that kind of stuff. We blow it, every single one of us. But Christ is the one who makes us right. So other people's opinions doesn't matter. His opinion is the only opinion that matters. But what we need is we need spiritual people around us, walking with us, challenging us, encouraging us, lifting us up, doing life with us. That's what we need. So we've got to get past this fake facade of our holy, our high horse, our holy high horse. And so what, what we have is, is we have the message that brings the dead to life. And I, all I want to do is this, is I want to lead us in breaking down walls and barriers to get as many people to Jesus as we can. And like, like what James says here is, is the last thing we want to do is trouble those who are turning to God. We want to encourage and walk with. That's what we want to do. But that doesn't fix the problem because there's still a problem with how they're to fellowship with each other. The problem's still gonna be there. How do they relate? How do they get along? So, so let me explain what's happened. So, so what if, while together, you've got a Jewish believer and you've got a Gentile believer, and one, though they come from completely different backgrounds, different uh, uh, things that's happened and, and expectations and law-driven, and then you've got the ones that, that didn't have any of that, that, that could do whatever, wide open, live however they wanted to, and now they've come to faith, and you've got these ones that were Jewish and knew better than all that stuff. How do, how do they fellowship? How do they relate? How do they get along? How do they do that? One wants to enjoy their freedom, and the other one, the freedom that they enjoy would be uh, crushing and would defile them. How do they fellowship and get along with each other? So I'm just gonna just give you an example, just a hot button topic in our world today, and just kind of give you an example, kind of in our world, maybe something that, that we can relate to. So, so what, what, if, what if you enjoy a good bottle of wine? What if you just like a glass of wine with a meal? 
And you just love the flavor, the way it accents your meal, the way it adds to it. And now, hear me, you're well within your biblical right to enjoy that. Maybe you like a beer. You're well within your biblical right to enjoy that if you're over the legal age. If you're 21 years old, you, you're, right th- you're allowed to. Well within your biblical right. So maybe you like, maybe you like that and there's, there's nothing biblically sinful about that glass or about that bottle, nothing. Now hear me, there may be many that would argue that against that wisdom to, to do that, to partake of that, but, but no one can say that it's sinful or they have any sort of exegetical or biblical integrity at all. You, you can't argue against that, there's nothing. But here comes the problem. Here comes the issue. What if your brother and sister doesn't enjoy that same freedom? What if your brother and sister doesn't enjoy that same freedom? So, so what if, if you were to have a glass and uh, you get together for dinner and you open up that, that bottle and it's okay for you two and, and you have that bottle and what happens is it stirs gratitude in your heart to God who's created all things and so your heart's toward him. But what if that friend comes over and that one glass for them turns into two glasses? Two glasses turns into three glasses. Three glasses turns into a bottle. A bottle turns into two bottles. A bottle ends up with them on the bathroom floor the next morning puking their guts out. What do you do there? Do you still put the bottle out? Do you still enjoy in your freedom? And so that's the question that they're trying to get figured out here. That's what they're trying to come to. That's what they're trying to figure out. See, the Jews viewed blood as a defilement as well as some other things. It was a very defilement just to be around it. So it's defiling for the Jews, but even to be around it's defiling. It would, it would just throw them off. So how are they going to solve the issue if the Gentiles are free and can enjoy and God has given that freedom, but what do they do in that situation? What, what, do they, what should they do with their freedom? And so let's continue the story. Verse 20 says, but, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from, um, from what has been strangled and from blood. So that's what they come to. At, at the Council of Jerusalem, that's where they land. They say, okay, no, no circumcision. They, they don't have to be circumcised, but what they have to do is what he says there in verse 20. Abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from, um, from what has been strangled and from blood. And so it seems a little bit weird here, doesn't it? It seems a little bit, okay, what is this? What's going on? But this is what James says. This is what he says. He says, we're not, we're not gonna put on them this rituals of, of the Jews except for this list and this set of rituals of the Jews which is pretty much all of them except circumcision. So, so this is what just happened. What they're doing is they're pressing into covenantial love. They're pressing into covenantial love. See, covenantial love says that I'm for you regardless. I'm committed regardless. I'm, I am in this to see you thrive, to see you be blessed, to see, to see you grow and mature and flourish. See, the issue at hand here is all about how they to walk together in fellowship. How are they to fellowship around the reality of who Jesus Christ is? So if anything we could do would cause someone to stumble, grow weary, lose heart, then we should never want to do that. We should never want to do that. The very place that we should land should be with the heart that, that I'm not gonna be a temptation to you. I don't wanna be a stumbling block to you. I don't wanna cause you, though I may have freedom, I wanna lay down those rights to see my brother flourish to see my brother be blessed, to see my brother not have to stumble or worry about struggle. See, our default should always be laying our freedoms down so that our brothers and sisters might flourish, might grow, might do good. Hear me, where it's about self and what you want and what you deserve and, and what you fight for and say things like, I'm not, it's not a sin for me or how can you tell me not to? 
hear me, all that does is reveal that you have a wicked, selfish, life-sucking, all-about-you type of attitude that's contrary to the gospel. That's what that does. It just reveals your heart where you're at. Because hear me, the default for the believer, it's never about me. The default for the believer has been the last thing I want to do is call someone to stumble. That's what's going on in this text. Jewish believers, Gentile believers. I mean, there are some things that would just cause a war. There are some things that could cause the Jewish believers to slip and fall and to fall into a lifestyle that they should never be a part of. And so what they decide is simply this, is man, my default needs to be about Jesus and him being glorified, not about me, not about my, my wants, my, what I like, what I don't. That's the thing, that's the thing, church. It's never about us. It's never, so should I or shouldn't I? That's between you and the Lord. That's between you and the Lord, but the default has always gotta be, am I gonna call somebody else to stumble? Am I gonna stir something in somebody else that, that could take them down a slippery slope? It's not about me ever. Why, because I'm owned by Christ. And so the answer is, what would Jesus have me do? What would Jesus call me to do in that situation or that circumstance? Though there's freedom, we give up our freedoms by being in Christ. Though we are free in Christ, we give up that freedom for self. See, that's, the heart of the believer is never about me. Well, I just daggum enjoy it more than Jesus. Well, now we've got a problem because that's an idol. Remember back what we were just talking about? Mm. Let's talk there for a moment. So anything that you love more and anything that you can't say no to and anything that you can't abstain from, what that has done is become the very thing that you worship. And our heart is bent for one and one only. Every time, every circumstance, every situation, that's what we see Paul talk about over in 1 Corinthians. He says, man, what I eat, regardless of what I eat, everything I eat, everything I drink, everything I do, I wanna do for the glory and honor of God. So if I never have something else again, then that's fine, as long as people come to know Jesus Christ in a greater way as a result of it. That's the issue at hand. What do we do? What needs to happen? And that's what they say, abstain from these certain things because it could cause your brother to stumble. It could cause your brother to fall. And then verse 22, so then it seemed good to, to the apostles and the elders and with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And so uh, uh, they sent Judas called uh, Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. And so what we have is this, is that this letter just tells of what they just said, what they've decided. And so they send representatives to Antioch to affirm what they've discussed. It's not something they just made up, but this is, this is what we've decided in this council, and this is, what, this is what we're calling and asking you to do. Yes, there's freedom, but, but you need to abstain from these certain freedoms because it's all about fellowship. It's all about unity within the body. It's all about building, building as many up as possible and sending out. It's all about the gospel, church. That's what it's about. See, it tells of the decision, this letter tells of the decision they'd come to in regards of, of circumcision and some liberties and freedoms. That's what they're writing for. But I believe that there's something a little bit deeper at hand, a little bit deeper at hand. Look, 28, as we kind of wind down. Verse 28 says, for as it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So, so look at what they do. They press into God on this. And what the Holy Spirit does is confirms uh, they share the requirements in the letter to the people there at Antioch. They pray and they seek and they want to know what God, God, what do you want us to do? It wasn't just a decision that they made flippantly, but, but they pressed into God. And it says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. This is what God has led us to do. This is where God has allowed us to land in this situation, in this circumstance as it pertains to freedoms. And then look at the response in verse 31. 
when they hear the letter and they, it's read to them and they find out what the response is in verse 31, look at what it says. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. They didn't throw a pout fit. They didn't get frustrated. They didn't get aggravated. None of that. They didn't fight about the freedom they had or they didn't have. That wasn't even an issue. Hear me, that was secondary to them. That was secondary to them. It was all about what did we decide about the gospel? Do we just believe in Jesus and we're saved or do we have to do this physical act that shows that we're saved? Well, what, is there works that's associated with it? What do we do about this? Where do we live? What ha- Tell me about the salvation thing. I don't care about the freedom junk. Tell me, do we or don't we? Are we or not? That was their concern. That was their heart. They wanted to know, do they belong to Jesus or not? We don't care about the freedoms that we can have or not have or we can participate in or not participate in. Are we, are we a part of the body or are we not part of the body? That was their heart. It was the gospel that they were concerned about. Not if we have to, do we have to do this action or not do this action. Are we saved by faith alone in Christ alone? And so what happens here, what we see at this council of Jerusalem as they take back to the church in Antioch, the gospel is elevated to utmost here at the church in Antioch. And what do they do? They celebrate. Brothers and sisters, we saved. And we part of the family. You a Jew, I'm a Gentile. Who gives a rip? You've come from this background. I've come from this background. Who cares? And I'm a part of the family of God. Man, we are brothers and sisters in Christ is what we are. I am saved. I am saved. That's, that, was their, that was their concern. That was their heart. So from the moment that you become a Christian to the day you take your last breath, you will need every moment of every day to press into the gospel. Every moment of every day. Why? Because there's drift. Church, there's drift in our life. There's things that pulls us away. There's things that causes us to forget about the gospel, to overlook the gospel. So to give you just a quick, like TV, I mean, if you watch TV, I mean, good lands, Lifetime Channel. This is what love looks like. This is what it's supposed to be like. This is how we do relationship. This is how we, it seems like all the men always end up dead. Or, oh man, they're so in love. Look at how romantic. That's garbage. Trying to be nice, there's kids in here. I mean, that's, that's not love. That, that, that is, that's not, no, that's lust is what that is. That's not love. This kind of Hollywood romanticized junk that goes with marriage, no. That's not a picture of what marriage looks like. You know what a picture of marriage looks like? It's not the, not the wife doing whatever the husband says, but it's the husband laying down his life for the wife. That's a picture of marriage. That's what, Hollywood don't do movies like that because it wouldn't sell. It, it wouldn't make millions of dollars in the box office. That's, that's not what it's about. It's about laying your life down for the betterment of the other. That's what marriage is. TV drags us away from the reality of the gospel there. Social media reminds us of how fallen we are and we, we see that kind of stuff and we take it in and it's constantly reminded about how great everybody else's life is and how mine's in shambles and falling apart. When all the while, it took them probably eight takes to get that picture. You know why I know? Because I've posted and I've made the mistake of sending like the little live feed thing whenever you take that, it's not just a still picture, but mama will get it and be like, my gosh, your kids were crazy before you got that. How'd you get that pic? I threatened them to their life. There's that live feature that comes with the pictures nowadays. Apple, why'd you do that? I can't be deceptive anymore and make everybody think that my life is perfect and great. I've gotta be very careful what I post now and do it the right way. See, stuff like that draws us away. The stuff we hear on the radio, friends we hang out with, all of those things drags us away from the reality of what the gospel is, where the gospel says it's not about me, it's all about Jesus being made much of and being reminded of the cross of Christ and what he has done for us. Everything else is secondary. 
freedom, no freedom, this, that, what do I do? All of that stuff is secondary to the reality of what the gospel is. And so you'll need to be reminded over and over and over what God has done for you in Christ. And, and I, I don't know if you've picked up on it, but, but I've been preaching here now for about a year and a half, and that's, that's, the, that's the drum I beat every week. I just get to preach the gospel to you every week. And I get to come at it in a little different ways, but it's all about the gospel. It's about what Jesus has done for us and who he is. And when we live in him and we're obedient to him and his call, everything won't be perfect and great in our eyes, but he'll get glory and honor. And that's what it's all about. What's your marriage about? It's not about how happy or unhappy you are. It's about this world seeing who Jesus Christ is and God getting glory. What about your job? Your job's not about what do I like it, do I not? No, your job is you're on a mission field, man. Get your eyes off of you. That's why we need the gospel because we'll become so in-focused and me-focused that we don't care about the world. To hell with the world. What do I want? What do I like? What do I need? It's all about me, 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 me. That's the world we're living in. That's what everything is pushing us toward. Well, you deserve it. You've worked hard. You've acted like this. You've been here. You've done it. You've, you've spent all that time. Well, she doesn't do that for you. Then you just dump her, get rid of her, find another one. And she'll do the same thing to you. I guarantee you why. Because we're all fallen and we all struggle with sin. And the gospel says it's not about me, my wants, my likes, but it's about exalting the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what the gospel's about. That's what we're to live for, church. So that's what I want to do week in and week out is remind you of that reality. It's all about Christ and what he has done. So my question today as the band comes back up is this, where in your life do you need to be reminded of the gospel? Where do you need to be reminded of the gospel? As I've said already, maybe in your marriage, Maybe there things are falling apart or there's issues. Maybe you need to circle around the reality of the gospel and the redemptive work of Jesus because through that he can make right. Through that he can fix and redeem. Maybe it's at work. That's where you need to be reminded of the gospel. It's not about you making money. That's not what this world's about. It's not what life's about. It's about you proclaiming Jesus. Maybe in your family, maybe your family's falling apart. Maybe there's issues there. Maybe your job. Maybe there's a specific sin struggle. Maybe self-worth and acceptance. Maybe that's where you need to be reminded of the gospel. And I just, I just want to take a moment. I want to talk to you guys. I know there's more youth in here, but I just want to talk directly to you guys for a second because what I saw this week in the news, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but down in Florida, there was a young lady who went to the bathroom and took her life in high school. There was a shooting in a school, but it wasn't against anybody but herself. And so she takes her life. And so I want you to hear me right now because you know what the gospel says? The gospel says that you're accepted, that you're wanted, that you're loved. I don't care what anybody else tells you. I don't care what kind of little punks in the school tells you something contrary. And yes, I said punks because I mean it because they're everywhere. And they will do everything they can. I see you back here. They'll do everything they can to try to derail you and tell you something that's a lie. And you hear me, it's from the pits of hell. Because what the cross reminds us, what the cross reminds you, what it reminds me is that you're wanted and that you're loved. That you're accepted. Doesn't matter what you wear, it doesn't matter what you drive. And I didn't even get to read the full article of what happened. Was it peer pressure? Was it bullying? What, 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 what it was? But anyway, I see it. I've got, a, I've got a six-year-old in first grade, and he comes home, and he says, there's these little girls. And I'm like, don't, I, will, I will beat up a little girl in a minute. Buddy, you don't ever do that, but Daddy will take care of me. No, no, Mama will say, you don't want to leave Mama Bear. You know what I'm saying? But is it the pressure? He's a six-year-old, for goodness sake. In first grade, he can barely read. And those pressures are already there. I can't imagine what you guys face. I can't imagine the things that come at you. I don't know if I'd go back for love or money, man. But hear me. And you know what? Maybe there's somebody else in here this morning that needs to hear that. But what the gospel does, it says, man, you're wanted and you're loved. You're accepted. 
You're accepted. You're a part. If you believe in Christ and have a relationship with him and have put your faith and trust in him, your self-worth doesn't come from what grades you get, how much money you make, what you bring to the table. Your self-worth comes from Jesus Christ. And what I know is that he's paid all the best heaven has is what God's given. And so our bank accounts fall woefully short. Our good works fall woefully short when we look at it in reality of what it is. But you know what? That's what the gospel does. It reminds me that. It reminds me of that. Whenever I'm feeling down and out or when I'm feeling like crud or whenever I've been beat up or whenever I've, am I really worth, am I even doing? The gospel says it was a resounding yes. I died for you and I love you. Look to the cross of Christ, church. Acceptance, self-worth, finances, all that stuff. That list could go on and on and on. What we have to know is this, the gospel. What you have to know and be reminded of is the gospel. What I have to know and be reminded of is the gospel. Because the reality is, without it, how can we discuss any struggles in life if we don't have the initiating love of God made visible in the coming life, death, and resurrection of Christ? May our foundation be founded on the gospel and the gospel alone, and from there we can build on. There we can have conversations. You want to know about dinosaurs? We can talk about them, but how's the gospel look like lived out in your life? Can we talk in tongues or not talk in tongues? How's the gospel in your life? How are you living it out? How are you proclaiming it? How's it shaping you and molding you and affecting you? Everything else is secondary. We've got to rally around the reality of the gospel. And that's what we see. Thank God they stood up. They pressed into the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is the freedoms they have, but this is what we're going to indulge in. The reality of who Christ is and what he has done for them. Tell them to focus on that. Church, hear me. Focus on Jesus and everything else will fall in place. Can I, can I focus on Jesus and everything else will take care of itself? Should I or should not focus on Jesus and everything else will fall in place? Everything else. How does someone come to know Christ? How are you living that out? That's the utmost importance. That's what was attacked here at the Church of Antioch. That's what they said. It's all about Christ and Him being proclaimed. It's all about faith in Jesus. That's what we're going to push. That's what we're going to chase after. Church, that's what we're going to push and that's what we're going to chase after with everything in us. Everything else is secondary and will come fall into place. God, help us this morning. See your gospel. Hear your gospel. God, I pray that if there be one here this morning that don't know you as Savior, Lord, that you would awaken them the reality that they need you. God, I don't need a casket. I don't need a fancy, crazy little scare tactic. God, all I need is you saying that we, that we are loved and desired by you. God, that we are fallen and broken and messed up. And I hope that's what the law has shown here this morning, that not one of us in this room can keep it. But God, when we're in you, we have, we have kept it in you. You are our righteousness. You are our holiness. So God, I pray this morning, this place, if there be one lost, you save them awakening them and help them realize and see their lostness and their need for you. If there'd be one here struggling this morning, God, I pray that the gospel proclaimed in this place would would set them free from the captivity that they're in, the chains that they're bound by, God, whether it's peer pressure, whether it's a worthless feeling, whatever it may be, God, I pray that the gospel proclaimed in this place week in and week out will amp up your saints, will save the lost, and will move in a mighty way, God. Make your presence known. In your name we pray. Amen. Eric's going to lead us. You stand. You respond as God leads. If you want to come pray, if you want to have a conversation about more what it means to to be a believer in Jesus, anything that we can do, man, we're here to serve.